All right, good uh, morning, everybody. Morning, morning, great to see you. Hey, I always, uh, I always have Kay do the welcome uh, on the days that I preach because he always says our very own Cameron Moore, and that sounds cool, you know. He doesn't, he doesn't say that about Gary, but he says that about me. <laughs> hey, so today, uh, <laughs> what? Cameron Moore. Hey, come on, guys. Who's doing that? That's what I get for trying to be cool right here in the beginning. Hey, today we're talking about joy. You've got to be joyful with stuff like this, but we're talking about joy. And so to start off um, with this message on joy, uh, I, I want to, to ask you and maybe get a little bit of your participation. Uh, this makes sense. We're talking about joy. So tell me, anybody have a, a least favorite Christmas gift ever received? Least favorite. Let me hear one. Fruit cake. I heard that earlier, actually, when we were talking about this. Fruit cake. Yeah, least favorite. Any other least favorites? Vacuum. <laughs> yeah, what kind of message is that saying? Yeah, least favorite gift. Yikes. I- I'll tell you mine, okay? And it happened really on um, several occasions. Uh, so I have, uh, now there, there are six of us boys. So I have five brothers and uh, my least favorite gift was any time my parents would sit us down. And for a while, it was just me and two of my, my brothers. There were three of us, and then it became four of us, and then it became six of us. And, and so any time that my parents came up to us and we're sitting kind of maybe where you guys are sitting, and they're approaching us, all six of us, and they only have one present in their hand. And so they're coming up to us and we're like, all right, what are you guys doing here? You know, that doesn't look very big. And, it, and it's just one of them. Least favorite gift growing up was anytime my parents came up to us and said, all right, guys, this is a gift that you all have to share. <laughs> what? Like that you have to, that's not a gift on, for boys. That's, that's a grenade, you know, that you're just throwing right in front of them. Come on. Like that's, Ruining Christmas, a gift that you have to share on Christmas. So what Christmas is all about. And then when you open it and, and there's just a letter in that gift that you have to share and it says, it says, you're going to have a baby brother this summer. What? Like, that's not a gift. That's just gross. And the baby's not even going to be here until summer. Like, what kind of gift is that? A baby? <laughs> Well, listen, Advent, the season that we're in, Advent is all about Jesus' arrival and it particularly emphasizes his, uh, his babiness, his, his birth. Jesus' birth, it was described as good news. Mitchell just said it. It's good news that will cause great joy for all people. His birth, unlike the birth of my brother Nathan, his birth was an incredible gift and a gift to share. I do love Nathan, actually. It was a good uh, gift eventually. But Jesus is good news of great joy for all people. And so if you saw Mitchell when he came up here, the first thing he did was he lit this, this pink candle, which is the joy candle. And it's pink right up here. And it's called pink, like in the commoner's tongue. Like that's what normal people say if they see it. It's just pink. But the fancy uh, title for this colored candle is, is the rose candle. This is the rose candle that he just lit. And if you think about the rose, 
man, the rose, the flower, it is the most sought after. It is the most cherished. It is the most uh, given and received flower of all time, according to Google. That's what Google told me. This week, the rose is the most sought after and it causes joy in those who receive it. Why? Why does it cause joy when you receive a rose? Because it is most often received. The rose is most often given as a gift. Like nobody ever buys roses for themselves, right? Unless, unless you have, and that's okay. And a little sad. Um, but for the most part, the rose is given to you as a gift. And so the rose then, it, it stirs up joy for those who receive it because it's typically being uh, given by someone that, that loves them and, and someone that they love in return. And it, and it stirs up joy in the person that is giving the rose because typically they're giving it to their loved one and they get to see the look um, of surprise and of joy on their loved one's face, this gift, this rose that stirs up joy. And so again, the birth of Jesus is an incredible gift. It's like a rose. And when it's received, it stirs up joy in the person who receives it. Jesus is good news of great joy for all people. But that's not what necessarily um, people of his time were expecting, that Jesus would be good news for all people. I mean, the people that were waiting for Jesus was all of Israel and they expected Jesus. They expected this long awaited savior and Messiah, their Lord to be good news of great joy for Israel, but then bad news for everyone else. Bad news world, Jesus is here. He's here for Israel. And this is bad news for everyone else. They expected Jesus to favor Israel, to love all the Israelites, and in particular to favor the most righteous and holy and clean among them. These were their expectations. But today we're looking at some expected versus unexpected circumstances of Jesus' arrival. And while all of those circumstances, whether they are expected or unexpected, are reasons to rejoice, to take joy, to have joy stirred up in our hearts, expectations and unexpectations. So these first two that we're going to look at today are what Israel was expected. They expected this from their Messiah, the Christ, the one who was to come. And so we're going to be in Luke 2 today. And uh, if you have your Bibles, you want to grab one from underneath the seat, we'll be in Luke 2 most of the day. But, but the first point is this, the first reason to rejoice. Rejoice, for Christ has come. Rejoice, he has come. This is totally expected. Most Jews, most of Israel knew their scripture. They knew that there were some very clear neon signs in their scriptures, our Old Testament. There are some very clear neon signs in our Old Testament that is pointing to the arrival of some great hero, Christ, the Messiah, the Lord. They were taught to long for this person, to long for this hero, to wait and to hope for him, to earnestly put their trust in the arrival of this hero. And now in Christ... He's finally here. And so they're rejoicing. They've been expecting him. They rejoice because the Christ has finally come. And this is what it says in our Bibles in Luke chapter two, which Mitchell just read for us. You can follow along on the screen. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. 
But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, the one you have been waiting for, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. So last weekend, we um, went to a, a live nativity. I know there's several, and maybe that's part of your Christmas tradition. You go and wait um, an hour or, or an hour and a half in line to go through a 30-minute nativity, and it was awesome. It was a great experience. Um, I'm not sure if we'll do it again next year, but it was awesome driving through there, and uh, we saw all these animals. Our kids loved it. They're poking their heads out the window, but eventually we came uh, to the angels, uh, and the angels, they were, they were very cute. And therefore, not biblically accurate. If you read it, man, Gary said this last week. Anytime in scripture an angel appears, people are scared to death. Scared to death to the point, like if you guys are ever said, like if somebody says, oh, you're such an angel, you should be offended at that. If you've read your Bible, you should be offended. These shepherds, they were terrified when these angels showed up before them. Terrified up until they heard this good news of great joy. The Savior Yes, the Messiah, the Lord, the one you've been waiting for is here. He has been born today. This is the long expected hero, the Christ. And they've been expecting him. This was their expectation that this person would finally come. Now, it's not exactly uh, the entrance that they were expecting a baby. Come on, that's not a present. Um, no, I've since changed my mind on that since I've become a dad. But, but a baby they're expecting some great hero and a baby's here. So it's kind of like a nuanced uh, expectation. They, they knew he was coming, but just not exactly how they thought he would uh, kind of bust into the world. But still, he's here and they rejoice. So now I will say it again, rejoice, Christ Christ has stayed. And this is the second expectation, the second thing we're looking at. Christ has stayed. They were expecting this Messiah to, to come, to come to earth, to come to their community, and he was going to stay with him. They expected Christ to come and to bring with him a new kingdom. He's going to trash Rome and, and dirty, rotten sinners, and he's going to rule forever with the Jewish elite. Booyah. And it's slightly, it's a little bit different than that, um, but that's what they are expecting, that he would at least come and then stay and reign. A little different than they thought, but at least he has stayed and they are expecting that. And now I can hear this question uh, burning in your minds right now. And you're, you're saying, wait, didn't Jesus actually leave though? Didn't he ascend into heaven? Good on you. Great for knowing your Bible history. Um, and yes, yes, he did ascend into heaven. And yet right before he ascended into heaven, his words were this. He says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And just chapters before earlier in his ministry, he says to his disciples, where two or three gather in my name, I am there among them. I am there at any time whatsoever. He's there. He's with us always. He's staying forever. So Christ has come and he has come to stay, but it's just a little different than what people were expecting, but they were expecting it. And so uh, this is really the only time apart from uh, staying in Luke 2, we're going back to Isaiah right quick. This, this verse of promise of the coming Messiah, Isaiah 12, 6, it says, let all the people of Jerusalem shout his praise with what? 
joy, shout his praise with joy for great is the Holy One of Israel who lives among you. Not lived, not will live for a time and then leave, but who lives presently residing with you, the Messiah, the Christ, this great hero that they've been waiting for. He has not just come to stop by and then do out. He has not just come to stop by, but to stay and to live and to dwell and to thrive with God's people. And so again, we see in Isaiah, a verse that all of you guys are familiar with, especially in this season of Christmas. It says, his government and its peace will never end. Will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor, David, for all eternity. And then later, Jesus would even say to his disciples, all those who love and follow him, he says, me and my father, we're going to come to each of you and make our home with you to stay and to dwell with God's people. So rejoice, Christ has come to stay. And so many people expected this. They expected the Messiah to reign. They expected his presence to remain among them and around his disciples, his followers. He was going to remain among them and around them. And yet in his gospels, if you read in in any of the gospels, especially John, Jesus starts making some weird statements. Some weird statements he says to his disciples. He says, Remain in me and I'll remain in you. What are you talking about, Jesus? It's a little weird, okay, but remain in me. I will remain in you. This isn't just the Messiah residing with you, but within you. And then later, Paul would say to the Colossians, we just studied the book of Colossians not too long ago, but he's telling them the secret of the Christian life. And he says, this is the secret. Christ lives in you. Christ lives in you. So maybe Christ's presence and his kingdom is going to be a little different than Israel was thinking. All those who are waiting for him. It's going to be a little different than what they thought. We expected Christ to be with us, but not within us. We expected to live within his kingdom, but not for his kingdom to be within us. They expected Christ to come. They expected Christ to stay. And yet still, uh, there are some nuances here that were completely unexpected or strange, strange at its best. Nuanced expectations. The hero has come, but he's a baby. He's here to stay, but he's staying inside of us. And so now we're kind of moving in to some completely unexpected circumstances. Those were expected, but a little nuance. Now we're moving into some totally unexpected circumstances about the good news of Jesus and yet still reasons to rejoice. So I will say it again, rejoice. Rejoice because Christ is shared. Totally unexpected, shared Israel, all those who have been waiting for this Messiah, like shared. What do you mean by shared? How can you even share a person? That sounds weird and a little bit illegal. Besides, Jesus is just for upstanding citizens. He's just for upstanding, theologically correct, clean Jewish citizens. Christ shared. Let's look at the text, 2 verses uh, 17 and 18. After seeing him, after seeing this Jesus, this sweet little snuggly baby Jesus, the shepherds told 
everyone what had happened and what the angel has said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. So first off, shepherds. Shepherds are sharing the news of Jesus Christ, of this long-awaited hero, of this long-awaited Messiah. Shepherds. If anyone is sharing this good news of Jesus' arrival, of the Messiah's arrival, it should be the religious teachers of Israel, the religious elite. This is great news. This is awesome news. And it should not be shepherds sharing it. It has to be the Jewish elite, the religious elite. Shepherds are not qualified. Shepherds. And, and here's the thing, sharing this news about Jesus, sharing this news about the Messiah, it's not going to do everyone good. It's only going to be good for the, uh, the righteous and, and the clean Israelites, the upstanding citizens among them. Jesus is bad news for everyone else. But listen, it's shepherds that somehow have this news, even though they're seemingly not qualified. It's shepherds that have the news and they aren't selective they start sharing the news with everyone, anyone sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. We rejoice because the news is shared. Listen, it gets very, uh, uh, what's a good word for it? Crazy, that's a good word. For the people that Jesus is sharing the news with and revealing his identity, he's revealing, I'm the savior of the world. At one point in the gospels, he reveals his messianic identity to a, get this, a Samaritan gross woman. What? And in that context, man, Jesus should not be speaking to this woman alone, especially revealing to him such a great revelation of this magnitude that, hey, I am the savior of the world. He's telling this to just a, a Samaritan woman, Republicans. That is like Jesus striking up a, a, a jovial conversation with a Democrat or vice versa. And then that person ends up getting saved. And you're like, good, they need it. So do you. <laughs> Guys, our political identification gives us no advantage for salvation. You know that? <laughs> I don't know why I'm going there. I'm going to stick to joy, actually. Let's stick with joy. <laughs> Jesus is talking to this Samaritan woman. She tells him, she says, I know, I know the Messiah is coming. I know he's coming. The one who is called Christ, when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus told her, a Samaritan woman, I am the Messiah. The woman immediately left her water jar at the well and she ran back to the village telling everyone. And as a result, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus, even Samaritans, because the good news of Jesus Christ had been shared. And then later, Paul Paul has the audacity to write this to the Romans. He says, for I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes the Jews first, amen, and the Gentiles. What? Saving the Gentiles, saving all of us. What they expected was the message just to be contained to Israel because it's gonna be bad news for the rest of the world. But instead, the message of Jesus is meant to be shared with everyone and anyone. And so we rejoice. Again, we rejoice because Christ is for you. Rejoice because Christ is for you and he's for me. 
the message of Christ is for all of us. I don't know what you've heard about Jesus, but his gift of salvation, it is for you. It's for all of us. It's for the least of these. If you feel like Jesus, if you feel like this hero or this Messiah, this savior, if you feel like he would not want anything to do with you, you are exactly the type of person he went to over and over again in our Bibles. To the least of these people who thought this Messiah would not want them. And he went to them time and time again. Jesus wants you. So this is the last verse of our text. Man, pay, uh, pay close attention to this right here. Verse 20, chapter two. It says, the shepherds, the shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them, even them, shepherds, shepherds. Here's the thing about shepherds. It's that really they were peasants. The shepherds in Israel were peasants located toward the bottom of the scale of power and privilege. They weren't supposed to receive this message. Peasants, just lowly shepherds, they weren't supposed to receive this message. They weren't supposed to be the ones sharing the news. They didn't deserve it. Listen, the gospel is for those who don't deserve it. The gospel is for those who don't deserve it. Grace is not grace if you deserve it. Grace isn't grace if you, you can never say to, to your friend or, or to your boss, to your spouse, to God, you can never say to them, hey, come on, man, don't you think I, I deserve a little bit of grace here? And, and maybe you have said that. I'm not dogging on you, really. I guess I am a little bit because, because that doesn't make sense, does it? I deserve a little bit of grace here. Grace is only grace when it is not deserved. If you ever receive grace, it's because you didn't deserve it. The gospel is for those who don't deserve it. The gospel is for you and me, we who don't deserve it. Isaiah, he later says that it's the humble, those of lowly, unhonorable, insignificant positions who will be filled with fresh joy from the Lord. David David, who was a man after God's own heart. David even teaches us that we must not trust in our own merits, but only in God's undeserved love and grace. He says in Psalm 13, I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me because he needed saving. We need saving. And Paul says, therefore, always be full of joy in the Lord. And Paul says this, he says, I will say it again, rejoice because he has saved you. Jesus is for you. Many people expected Jesus. They expected him to come. They expected this long-awaited a savior and Messiah, they expected him to be good news for Israel, bad news for everyone else. Again, they expected him uh, to be good news, to, to favor the most holy and clean and, and upstanding citizens among Israel, that he would be bad news for the rest of the world. 
Listen, this is what they did not expect. They did not expect that Jesus would be revealed first to dirty shepherds or to pagan magi or to the Samaritan woman or that he would touch lepers and eat with sinners. They did not expect Jesus would come even to save Romans, their oppressors, that Jesus would save even Greeks and Africans and Asians and people of all colors, that Jesus' saving gospel would eventually make its way to America and save you and me. Guys, Jesus, this long-awaited Messiah is good news of great joy for all people, not just Israel, not just the people that knew he was coming. Jesus is good news of great joy for all people. So rejoice. The gospel is good news of great joy, even for you. And so this is how I want to wrap up. Wrap. We call it action. Listen, Christmas is the season where we give uh, great gifts, funny gifts, gag gifts. But listen, we remember during Christmas that the birth of Christ and therefore his salvation is the greatest gift of all. So I don't know if it's uh, maybe just with me getting, getting older. And so probably all of y'all feel like this because you're already old. Um, but maybe it's just getting older that like I now uh, like to give gifts uh, probably more than, than I like to receive them, uh, especially when it's a, a super good gift. You know, you're getting something, you know, it's gonna, they're gonna love it. Like uh, this year um, for my father-in-law, I don't think he'll listen to this message, um, but I bought him a sword. And I'm so, I'm so stoked about it because it's going to be totally unexpected. And yet I think he's going to think it's awesome. So I'm super excited about giving this gift to him. We're going to wrap it. It's going to be slightly bigger than this. And uh, we're going to wrap it real nice, put a bow on it like Gary was talking about last week because it's super special. And then I'm going to put his name on it. Why do we put names on gifts? Because it's, it's for that person. Why am I going to write Mel? my father-in-law on here, because it's for him. Duh, we know that. That's why we put names on there. Listen, the gift of Jesus Christ is for you. Guys, your name was on that gift when you received it. Your name is on that gift of salvation that is for you. You know who else's name is on it? Your neighbor, your coworker who's still lost your family member who's still lost, their name is on this gift. And if this gift was anything else, if it was anything else in here, some tool, or maybe if it was a toy or just uh, some item, uh, cash or, or just clothing, if it was anything else, you would not hesitate to give it to them. Or at least you would, you would text them and say, hey, I've got a gift for you at my house. It has your name on it. Hey, there's a package here. When am I gonna see you next? Would you not? If you had a gift at your house, you would text that family or you would text that friend. Hey, are you gonna be at work on Monday after the week? Are you gonna be at work? I've got a gift for you with your name on it. If it was anything else, you would text them and give it to them immediately. Guys, why is it any different with the gospel? the greatest gift of all time, a gift that's never gonna wear out, a gift that's forever, a gift that changes somebody's eternity, a gift you've already received, you have it with you. 
And yet there's somebody else's name on it too. As we can't let this gift just sit by our fireplace or by our front door. We're going to take it out eventually. We're going to take it. We can't just let it sit in our car for weeks and then months and then years without ever saying anything. Guys, all, all other gifts are pathetic in comparison with the gospel. That's forever. Everything else wears out. The gospel is forever. Guys, you have to tell your friend, your family member, your coworker, you have to tell them. You have this gift. It has their name on it. It belongs to them. Man, we rejoice because we've already received it. We have to keep rejoicing because we get to share it. A gift that we get to share. So this is what we're going to do right now. I can go ahead and call the band. Uh, start making your way back up here. But we're going to sing a totally, totally expected song, I think, on the day of joy. But as we're singing this, Man, I hope that the joy of Christ, the joy of your salvation is stirred up within your heart, is stirred up within you to the point that it's, it's overwhelming and overflowing so that as you leave this place and go back home, go back to your neighborhood, go back to work, that joy overflows and impacts those who still need to experience the joy of salvation and Jesus Christ that because of your overwhelming joy, you would not hesitate to tell them you have a gift that has their name on it, that belongs to them. It is for them. So I pray that during this song, your joy overflows and impacts those in your life who have yet to experience it. So let me pray and then we'll stand and sing. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for saving us. God, we thank you that you have been thinking about our salvation, God, since the dawn of this world. And knowing that we would be lost, knowing that we would have turned away from you and yet you put into action this plan of salvation. And so God, our great hero, Jesus Christ, arrived as a baby and there was rejoicing that day. He lived, God, and he called disciples. You have called each one of us, and there's rejoicing each time he calls someone new. God, he went to the cross, and yet we still rejoice because we know on the third day he rose again. God, and finally completed our salvation. God, that we too would be raised to life, to walk in newness of life. God, for all these things rejoice and we pray, Lord, that this joy would overwhelm us and overflow out of us to impact those you still love and yet have not responded to you yet. That it would impact those who have yet to experience your joy. God, let us sing our hearts out as we sing of the joy of the Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.